Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll, then we'll move on, okay? God, thank you for, again, I thank you for your presence. God, thank you also for your word to us. God, for thousands of years, there have been people who find comfort and hope and truth and warning and encouragement in in your word, and, and we do too. And God, I also know that your word is how you work in our lives through your spirit to transform us. You reveal truth to us, and then we learn to think differently. And as we think differently about you, ourselves, our world, you're in the process of shaping us to be the people we want to be. God, I pray that you'll do that again this morning. God, I, 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 every single teacher I know, from the teachers of our youngest kids on up through teachers of adults like, like me right now, and Bible study teachers, all of us have this burden to be truthful and accurate with your word. So God, I want to pray for confidence in doing that right now. I thank you, God, that I can trust that through your spirit, if I say anything that's wrong or inaccurate, thank you, God, that you won't let us be influenced the wrong way. And God, on the other hand, I thank you so much. It amazes me how you take truth, even things that sometimes we teachers didn't intend to say, but nevertheless, people hear. You take truth and you shape us. I'm grateful for that. I pray that you will do that again this morning, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there's, um, there's a Ten Commandments, one, uh, uh, one of the Big Ten, Big Ten Commandments that uh, I have never really thought about all that deeply on our list. I don't know if you know this, but in different church traditions, the Ten Commandments sometimes are numbered a little bit differently. But in our list, in our church tradition, it is commandment number two, which reads, you shall not make any image or any likeness. Now, most of our Bibles, if you uh, if you go looking um, for that commandment in the Bible and read it, you'll see that most of the time our, our contemporary Bibles will translate that as uh, the word idol. Let us, not, or you shall not make any idol. But the word is actually image, um, as in um, what we talked about from Genesis chapter 1. The Lord God said, let us make man in our image. It's the same word. Um, in the commandment. Now, I never thought about that a whole lot, partly because it never appeared to me to be a problem of people making idols in churches where I've, uh, that I've been a part of. I actually now know otherwise, but that's another story for another Sunday. But anytime, anyway, some time ago, I found myself, actually years ago, I found myself wondering why God, uh, why did that make the Big Ten? Why was that so important? Why did God not want people to make an image of him. And then I realized just a few years ago, because there's already one here, filling the earth, one that he made, and it is the very best image of him that there will ever be, us. God already put his image here in us. 
and anything that we would make would trivialize both him and us. So God said, you shall not make any image because I already have one, you. Now, you may not think of us as particularly grand. It's easy for us human beings to look small and petty and mean and nasty and ugly, especially during elections and swimsuit season. You may think that whatever there is left of God's image in us is mighty diminished, but if you are ever going to understand this truth that we are image bearers, if you are ever going to be able to find an answer to the question we're asking, who am I? Then you have to understand this truth that we bear the image of God. Now, today, we're actually bringing this little series to a finish. And before we leave it, I, try, I want to try to tie up any loose ends and actually get very specific about trying to answer this question, who am I? What does it mean to bear the image of God? I have tried very, very hard over the last couple of weeks to explain what it means to bear the image of God. I've tried to show what sin has done to that image. I've tried to show what it means to be redeemed by Jesus Christ and what that means to the image. But today, in case we have not yet dotted all the I's or crossed all the T's, I want to try to be as specific as I can be and answer that question finally and completely, who am I? Now, to do this, I'm going to take you, if you were here or if you remember, and I'm an optimist, so I'm guessing that you all do, I'm going to go to the exact same passage of Scripture, or the same letter that we looked at last week, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, this letter, uh, to state the obvious, this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians in our Bibles, this is written to Christians in the city of Colossae. And that means that there may be a few of you who are listening um, who, because this is addressed to Christians, you may think, well, then it's irrelevant to you and of no consequence. But I do hope that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and listening, I hope you will at least give this a hearing because I think that there's really a good and a very clear answer to this question that everybody's asking, who am I? Now, I'm going to tell you, those of you who are flipping, and I'm glad you're looking in your Bibles, whether you're here or at home, but when I read this, what I read is not going to read like any of your Bibles. And the reason for that is that I have combined two different translations and smushed them together. And I did that simply to, uh, to save some time in explaining things. So I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. It will not read the same way that any of you are looking at in your Bibles. But uh, read along, and then you may want to just kind of keep your Bible open so you can um, uh, see some things. We'll put it on the screens for you to follow along as well. Here's what it says, Colossians chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11. You are done with your old life. You have stripped it off like a filthy set of clothes and put it in the fire. You have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. And here, there is no Jewish and non-Jewish. 
No religious and irreligious. No insider and outsider. No civilized, no uncouth, no slave and free. Those words mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. And he lives in all of us. Now, I believe right there, especially in that last sentence, I believe right there is the final and complete answer to the question, who am I? In that phrase, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone. Everyone. Now, my guess is that it may not particularly seem like a good answer to the question, who am I? But let me explain it. That phrase means that for all of us, for me and for you, for you it means that Jesus is our mirror. Jesus is our mirror. Now, what I want you to, what I want you to think about just for the next couple of minutes is I want you to quit thinking about anybody else, somebody else that needs to hear this, and I'm going to think about me, and you think about you. I want you to think about what it means to you that Jesus is your mirror. And I'm going to think about me and what it means to me that Jesus is my mirror. So, have any of you who ever spend any time on social media, have you ever seen, uh, a, there's a particular quote by Robin Williams. Usually it is accompanied by a sober-looking picture of Robin. And the quote from Robin says this, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind. You ever seen that quote? Anybody? It's, it's around a lot. And of course, now we know that Robin was fighting a battle that nobody else knew anything about. So what do you think? you think it's true? Are you? thinking about you, and I'm thinking about me. Are you fighting a battle no one else knows anything about? I am. Now, I kind of hate to do this because we spent a ton of time here, but I want to take you back just one more time to Genesis chapter 3, the story of the fall of human beings and the horrendous fallout in Genesis chapter 3, there's that story about how Adam and Eve disobey God, they sin. But just prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, there is this, at the end of chapter 2, there's this brief, brief description of the two of them, and it says that they were both naked and unashamed. And naked, of course, is not a fashion statement. It is a way of saying that these two human beings had absolutely nothing to hide from each other. There was not a thing between them. And there was nothing between them and God. Not a single moment of fear or guilt or shame. Robin Williams' words there were not true. There were at that time no battles being fought that the other knew nothing about. But anyway, the two of them, they sin, they break trust with God, and the account says, and this is fascinating to me, the account says that immediately after they sinned, 
their eyes were opened and they felt shame at their nakedness. Now, I'm not sure I've ever paid attention to this before, but there are at least two things going on here, probably more, but at least two. So stick with me. The second is really important. The first one, of course, is that there is this act of disobeying God. And when we disobey God, we feel guilty, or at least we should. We feel guilty about what we've done, and then there are consequences. So Adam and Eve, they sinned. It doesn't say they felt guilty. I'm assuming they did but they're then punished for their sin, and they should have been. There should be direct consequences for sin. You steal money from your employer, there will be legal consequences, and there should be. That's the first thing going on. Here's the second thing. It has to do with their shame, and this is important. Of what were they ashamed? Of their nakedness. Now think about this. That means that guilt and shame are two different things, right? Because to be naked for Adam and Eve was not sinful. It wasn't sinful before, and it's not sinful after. So if it's not sinful, why were they ashamed of their nakedness? It doesn't say that they were ashamed of the eating, which was their actual act of disobedience. They're ashamed of their nakedness. They're ashamed for what they now know about themselves. Because now for the first time, there's something to hide. In the words of Robin Williams, they are each now doomed to fight a battle, and it would be a hidden battle because they were ashamed. And this is so important. Do you think that we ever get confused between shame and guilt? I do. I think we do. A husband, for example, has a secret addiction to porn. A wife has a secret affair. You cheat on tests at school secretly, or lies come out of your mouth as easily as breathing, and then you get caught. However it happens, you get caught, and you are suddenly exposed. And that's an important word. You get exposed. So you feel guilty for the act. You feel shame for being exposed. And they are different things. In fact, when a person is exposed, it's very, very common for a person to say, I feel so dirty. I feel ashamed. Now, pause for a second. Do you know where else I have heard those exact same two sentences? I feel dirty. I'm so ashamed. I have heard it several times from women who've been raped or assaulted. 
a thing for which they should feel zero guilt. Zero guilt. And yet they feel lots of shame. Do you see how guilt and shame are two very different things? We feel shame because of this sense we all have that there is something broken inside of us and we can't be made whole. We feel dirty. Our souls are now scarred. They're damaged. And here's the thing. Here's the problem that we face. There's a solution for our guilt, and we know that very well. Forgiveness. We can go to our spouse and ask for forgiveness. We can go to our teacher and ask for forgiveness. We can go to our friend, to our boss, whoever it is we've hurt. We can go to God our Father and ask for forgiveness. We can confess our sin and we can be forgiven and our guilt is gone. Our problem is that confession sometimes doesn't erase the shame. Have you ever noticed that? We feel ashamed because like Adam and Eve, we now are naked exposed. But remember, there's no shame, no sin in the nakedness, which means shame is a lie. Do you know how many of us are ashamed of things right now that are not at all sinful? Do you know how many? Do you know how many moms are exhausted and they feel like they just can't keep up with all the other Pinterest moms and they're angry all the time and they're ashamed? Do you know how many people are struggling with anxiety and panic attacks and depression and they're afraid to tell anybody because they're ashamed? Do you know how many people are sick and they feel like they're a burden to their families and they're ashamed? Do you know how many people are confused about their sexuality, their gender identity, and they're ashamed? Do you know how many people have been abused and they're ashamed? How many people have experienced all kinds of horrendous trauma and they don't know how to talk about it and they're ashamed? Do you understand it wasn't a sin to be naked? There is no sin in our limitations. There is no sin in being a finite human being who just can't do it all. It's not wrong to be weary. It's not sinful to be confused or depressed or anxious or a victim. And I love what God does for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. It's extraordinarily simple, so simple we often miss it. God makes them a new set of clothing. And God himself clothes them. It's actually very beautiful. He takes these two naked and ashamed people and he gives them clothing. And it is not because God is saying to them, you know, you're right, you really do look bad naked. 
Someday there will be gyms for this, but not yet. So let me clothe you. No, God knows. God knows it's just not helpful at all to say to a human being, you shouldn't feel so ashamed. God knows he actually has to deal with the brokenness, and so he does. He himself makes them new clothing, and he clothes them. I actually think that's why one of the very common images in in the Bible for what happens to us human beings when we are redeemed by Jesus Christ is that we get to put on new clothing. Paul said this. This is what he said. This is what I read for you. You are done with your old life. You have stripped it off like a filthy set of clothes and put it in the fire. You have put on a new self which is being renewed in the image of God, its creator. Jesus deals with our sin and he deals with our shame. We are being made new. And you may not see it, but God does. Because Jesus is your mirror. You know, I, I saw a very short clip from a movie this week. I have no idea what movie it was. I don't know the people in this clip at all. But it was two young teenagers who were out on what was probably their first day, date at a restaurant, I think. And they're sitting there eating, but the boy happens to be looking off to the side past her. And she says, what are you looking at? And he says, the most beautiful girl I have ever seen. You can see the shock on her face and the hurt immediately. And he says, you should see her. And he says, but don't look now. She's looking this way at me. Now, turn your head very slowly and look. And she does. And she's looking at a mirror. And she sees her own face. That's what Jesus does. He is our mirror. And he says, I am looking at the most magnificent creation. Turn your head and look. And when we do, we see ourselves being made new. Magnificent creations. God's masterpiece, he says in Ephesians. You are God's masterpiece. This is what it means for you and me when Scripture says everyone is defined by Christ. Who am I? A flawed person, surely, but being made new in Christ. So who am I? A magnificent creation. God's masterpiece. And so are you. 
And so is every single human being. Everyone. Everyone, Paul says, is defined by Christ. Which means that Jesus has torn down every single barrier that keeps people apart. Every single one. That's why in what I read for you in Colossians, that's why Paul wrote this. He said, here, meaning here in the kingdom of God, here in the church of Jesus Christ, here, Paul said, there is no Jewish, no non-Jewish, no religious and irreligious, no insider and outsider, no uncivilized and uncouth, no slave and free. Those words mean nothing. From now on, Everyone is defined by Christ, and he lives in all of us. You know, there's a great word in that paragraph, in the translation that I read from there, it's the word uncivilized, but in the Greek, that word uncivilized is the word barbaroi, which is obviously where we get our word barbarian. Now, today, in our culture, the word barbarian is an insult. In Paul's day, it wasn't an insult at all. It's just a descriptive word. That word literally means those who speak gibberish. And in the Roman world, the Roman Greek-speaking world, if you spoke something other than Greek or Latin, you spoke gibberish. And I assure you that the Romans were not fond of making a voicemail message that said, press one for gibberish. (laughs) They were divided. And that's how the world was divided. This was the us-them in Paul's day. You know, I have family in Wyoming, as you know, and I also happen to love cowboy movies not the football team, the Cowboys. I mean movies about real men. Um, Anyway, um, because I love Wyoming and Cowboys, I have been reading a lot of stories about Native Americans, history, I should say, about Native Americans. You know, this is really fascinating. Do you know, almost every single Native American tribe, it might be everyone, but I've never seen a list, almost every single Native American tribe had a name for themselves that meant the people. As in, we are the people and you are not. Which, by the way, is pretty much true all around the world. If you could dive into our dim and distant past, almost all of our ancestors called themselves something similar. We're the people. What did the Jews call themselves? The chosen people. It wasn't enough just to be the people. We had to insert the Jews, another word in there, and obviously there was a reason. They were, in fact, chosen. Chosen However, all you have to do is read scripture and you will find God saying to them multiple times, don't let this go to your heads. I didn't choose you because you were the best and the brightest. He says, I just chose you. Kind of like eeny, meeny, miny, mo." Now, it wasn't that crass. There were reasons. But that's what God said. Deuteronomy 7, if you want to look. 
Don't think I chose you because you were the best. Plus, God said, I am not choosing you for you. I am choosing you to be a blessing to all other people. In other words, God said, through you, everyone will get chosen. That's the message. But this is a problem. For some reason, we really struggle with this. It's the us-them problem, and it still exists. There's a guy named Ed Galbraith who is kind of a mentor to me. I only know him through his writings. I've never met him, but he's worked at Christianity Today and InterVarsity Press, both organizations that have been very influential to me over the years. So I've read his writing. He's written two books. I've not read any one of them yet. I'd love to but he's written one book called Reconciliation Blues. And he wrote in that book about how easy it is for us to believe that every person is defined by Christ, but how hard it is to actually do what that means. In his third year of ministry, Ed got a call from a very well-known Christian leader. If I said his name, a bunch of you would know who it is. This leader asked Ed to have lunch. And as they were sitting down together, this guy starts to cry. And Ed is thinking, this is not the way a lunch usually starts. And I am not equipped to do therapy, so I have no idea what's coming. So the guy goes on to explain. He says, that, um, he says look, I have been blessed all of my life. Well-known, great family, tons of opportunities but right now I can't sleep at night. I just came back from a conference. A bunch of us got together to discuss racial reconciliation. We invited black leaders to the conference. We made them feel right at home. We involved them in the decision-making. But to tell you the truth, the decisions were made before you got there. And this time, the jokes that we told before you were there, the racism that nobody admits to, it got to me. How can I ever get over this? This leader asked Ed, sobbing, how can we be friends? Ed was silent for a minute, surprised, really. And then he said to the guy, he said, well, do you like football? The guy was puzzled and said, well, yeah, I do. I do too, Ed said. I have coached at both the high school and the college level. I actually have a couple friends in the pros. I love a good game. I love to cook. So here's what we need to do. I need to get to know you, and you need to get to know me. So why don't you come over to my house? Bring your wife. Meet my wife. We'll sit and talk and eat steaks and watch a game. You... Want me to come to your house? The leader asked. Yeah, Ed said. If you want me to try and clear your conscience, I can't do that. But I can be your friend. Ed wrote in his book, I gave him my cell number and told him to give me a call. And I never heard from him again. I think for many of us, it is way past time 
that we become friends. And that probably means more than shaking hands at church. It means some stakes in football and maybe even more. Because Paul said here, in the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, everyone is defined by Christ. A couple years ago, there's a magazine, a newspaper called The Guardian. It's, I believe, the leading British newspaper. A couple years ago, they decided to get a bunch of cultural influencers together and ask them to decide what was the single greatest photograph of the 20th century. Now, that is a task, isn't it? I mean, think of all the choices. The end of World War II, a man on the moon, I mean, on and on. But after a lot of months, they picked this one. Imagine a century of photos, billions to choose from, and they chose this one. The magnificence, the marvel of human life. Now, the story of that photo is this. There's a man named Leonard Nilsson who, back in the early 1960s, had to actually develop some groundbreaking methods of taking photos like this because he wanted to publish a series of photos of the development of an unborn child. Life magazine put this one on its cover in April 1965. It became the fastest-selling issue in Life magazine's history ever. Most of Nielsen's photos he actually published in a book that has become one of the best-selling illustrated books of all time called A Child is Born. It was on our shelf. We read it, followed the development of our children. It's still on many of yours, and it will be for years. Nielsen, in taking this photo, quote, he said, he wanted to make the invisible visible and show the astonishing journey we all make. All of us begin here. All of us. Red and yellow, black and white. Short, tall, fat, skinny. The couple who lives in the apartment above you that makes too much noise. The old man who walks his dog carrying that little plastic green bag dangling with dog poop in it, the same one holding his cane. The people who work for you. The teenager with tattooed eyebrows, the one with little emotion when he asks to take your order. The widow who is lonely looking at pictures of what once was. The young girl who dresses like a boy. And you. And me. 
We, you and I, who live in the kingdom of God, we who are the church of Jesus Christ, we are meant to make the invisible visible. That's who we are. Who am I? Who are we? The image of God on this planet. One time Jesus was having dinner with a friend. Maybe it was you. And Jesus happened to be looking over your shoulder at something else. And you asked, what are you looking at? And he said, the most magnificent I have ever seen. Turn your head slowly and look. And there, in the mirror, Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.